Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. State-of-the-art medical equipment. Hospitals use it to locate pain. And to help fight pain, they have a choice of pain relievers. What do they use most? Tylenol. Look. Last year, hospitals dispensed 10 times as much Tylenol as the next four brands combined. Hospitals can trust Tylenol to give effective relief without the stomach irritation possible with aspirin or any other type of pain reliever. Well, if hospitals use Tylenol, shouldn't you? Beginning on Wednesday, September 29, 1982, and over the next week, seven people were murdered in the Chicago area after unknowingly taking Tylenol poisoned by a killer. The nightmare began that morning at 6.30 a.m. when 12-year-old Mary Kellerman from Schaumburg, Illinois, woke up feeling sick. Mary stayed home from school and was given some Tylenol. Mary's father, Dennis Kellerman, heard his daughter go into the bathroom and close the door. Seconds later, he could hear her coughing and then the sound of something hitting the floor. He went to the bathroom door and called out to Mary, asking if she was okay, but strangely, she never replied. That's when he opened the bathroom door to find her lying unconscious on the floor. Her eyes were fixed and dilated, and she was barely breathing. Mary, at this point, was basically being suffocated. When paramedics arrived, they tried to stabilize her, but nothing was helping. Mary's mother, Jenna Kellerman, had been at work at United when Mary fell ill. She rushed home just in time to see paramedics placing Mary in the ambulance. Mary was brought to the Alexian Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village, where she was pronounced dead at 9.56 a.m. Deputy Chief Medical Examiner for Cook County, Edmund Donoghue, was notified of her death. He did a routine autopsy with no suspicions of foul play and was told that she had taken Tylenol that morning, which was nothing unusual. Around noon the same day, 27-year-old Adam Janus, a postal worker living in Arlington Heights, had just picked up his daughter from Catholic preschool when he stopped by Jewel, a local grocery store, and bought steaks, fresh-cut lilies for his wife, and a bottle of extra-strength Tylenol. After arriving home, Adam and his wife, Teresa, ate lunch. Adam then went to the bathroom and took two Tylenol. Teresa would later tell police that she never saw her husband take the capsules, but he walked out of the bathroom, clutching his chest and complaining of pain. When she followed him into the bedroom, she saw that his eyes were fixed and dilated, and he was having trouble breathing. Teresa looked outside and saw two neighbors talking. Teresa didn't speak much English, and she knew one of the neighbors was a nurse who spoke Polish, so she ran and asked for help. The women rushed inside the house, where the nurse tried to resuscitate Adam, while the other called for an ambulance. At Northwest Community Hospital in Arlington Heights, 
The paramedics continued trying to save Adam until they were met by Dr. Thomas Kim, who was the medical director of the ICU. Dr. Kim also tried to save Adam, but his heart never regained a normal, sustained rhythm, and he was pronounced dead at 3.15 p.m. Initially, while waiting for test results, his death was assumed to be from either a massive heart attack or brain injury. In the meantime, Dr. Kim had to tell the Janus family the shocking news. Teresa didn't speak much English then, so the doctor spoke directly with Adam's parents and youngest brother Stanley. Shortly afterward, the family went to Adam and Teresa's house and started making funeral arrangements. Adam's brother Stanley had chronic back pain that had flared up, and after leaving the hospital, he wanted to return home with his wife, also named Teresa. But their mother, Elosia Janus, told him he needed to come to Adam's house with them, and he reluctantly did. There, Stanley grabbed two Tylenol from the bottle Adam had purchased earlier that day. Meanwhile, 30 minutes later, 27-year-old Mary Rayner, who went by Lynn, was at home in Winfield, Illinois. She had given birth to her fourth child just six days earlier. She had purchased Tylenol at a grocery store earlier in the day and took two capsules for a headache. Not long after taking the Tylenol, she collapsed onto a kitchen chair and began having seizures. Lynn's husband, Ed Rayner, came home right after she had fallen on the floor. He quickly summoned a police officer who found Lynn on the floor, seizing with her eyes fixed and dilated while her panicked mother-in-law held the infant. An ambulance rushed her to Central DuPage Hospital in Winfield, and she was placed on life support but sadly died the next day. At 5 p.m., Stanley Janus had just taken some Tylenol for his back pain. His wife, Teresa, known as Terry by her loved ones, brought him the two capsules, and she also took two for herself for a headache. Moments later, Stanley clutched his chest and stated, My God, I feel bad. He started to collapse, but his brother Joseph caught him and eased him to the floor. Terry then complained her chest hurt as well. The firefighters and paramedics at Arlington Heights Station 3 were making dinner when the call came in. When the dispatcher gave the address, 1262 South Mitchell Avenue, they looked at one another in disbelief. Inside, paramedics tried reviving Stanley as he lay on the floor. Finally, one of the medics looked at Lieutenant Chuck Kramer of the Arlington Heights Fire Department and said, This is the exact same thing that happened to the man this morning, and we lost him. Terry grabbed Kramer's shoulder for support and yelled her husband's name as he lay unconscious. Then she groaned and fell to the floor as well. Lieutenant Kramer assumed she had fainted, but when he turned her over, he noticed that her breaths were shallow and her eyes were fixed and dilated. At least six first responders were working on the couple. Everything that would happen to Adam happened to Stanley and Terry. The paramedics loaded the couple into separate ambulances and headed to Northwest Community Hospital. Concerned that some kind of airborne contagion or other deadly environmental poison was in the house, Lieutenant Kramer put the entire Janus family in police cars and sent them to the hospital as well. As the ambulances raced toward the hospital, Dr. Kim was about to leave after a long shift. But a nurse stopped him to say that two people had collapsed at the Janus house and were on their way. Dr. Kim still didn't know why Adam was dead or why two relatives were critically ill. 
He was unaware that two other people had also been stricken in the same way or that more deaths were yet to come. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Kramer contacted nurse Helen Jensen and stated that something was going on and she was the only public health person he knew and asked her to head to the hospital. An investigator notified Deputy Medical Examiner Donoghue that something unusual was going on. The investigator told him that a member of a family in Arlington Heights died, and hours later, the man's brother and sister-in-law fell ill. Nurse Jensen arrived at the hospital and quickly began asking Teresa questions. She explained that her husband, Adam, took Tylenol and died soon after. Investigator Nick Pichos and Dr. Kim went to the Janus home to try to see if they could find any explanation for the sudden deaths. Meanwhile, at 6.30 p.m., at an Illinois Bell store in Lombard, 31-year-old Mary McFarland of Elmhurst told her co-workers she had a bad headache. So she went into the back room and took some Tylenol, and within minutes, she was on the floor. The staff called 911 and were performing CPR when paramedics arrived. Mary was taken to Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove, where doctors told her family she suffered a catastrophic stroke. Sadly, Mary would never regain consciousness. At 8 p.m., Nurse Jensen, Investigator Pichos, and a few police officers arrived at the Janus home. Jensen entered the home and gathered a few things she thought all three people could have come in contact with. A pot of black coffee, used coffee grounds, home-jarred fruits, cherry juice, a pound cake, prescription medicine, and the fresh flowers from the store. She also found the Tylenol bottle on the bathroom counter and the receipt in the trash can. Jensen poured out the capsules and counted them repeatedly. There were only 44 capsules in the 50-count bottle. Knowing the dosage is two capsules and three people were dead or dying, she came to the conclusion that the Tylenol was most likely the cause. They took the Tylenol bottle back to Northwest Community Hospital, where Jensen plopped the bottle of Tylenol down and said, this is the cause, but nobody believed her. Feeling frustrated and unheard, she went home and told her husband that lives were potentially still at risk and she couldn't get the right people to believe her. At 8.15 p.m., Stanley Janus was pronounced dead at Northwest Community Hospital. At 9.30 p.m., after landing at O'Hare from Las Vegas, 35-year-old Paula Prince, a flight attendant with United Airlines, stopped at the Walgreens at 1601 North Wells Street to buy some Tylenol. A photo captured the exact moment at 9.16 p.m. when Paula unwittingly purchased her own death, paying $2.39 for a 24-count bottle of extra-strength Tylenol. Once home, Paula took two of the Tylenol she had just purchased. She was scheduled to meet her sister for dinner, but she wasn't answering her phone. By Friday, when Paula failed to show up for her flight out, her family called the Chicago police to request a welfare check. When they arrived, they found a Tylenol bottle still sitting open on the vanity. She had taken it in the bathroom, and by the time she got to the threshold of the door, she was dead. She had been deceased since Wednesday, and her death made the seventh and final one. At 10 p.m., Investigator Pichos and a police officer began looking over all the evidence, including the bottle of Tylenol. While Nurse Jensen wasn't initially taken seriously, Dr. Kim had chimed in and also thought the Tylenol could be the cause. 
Dr. Kim began considering that the victim's sudden symptoms were similar to cyanide poisoning, but knew that the only way to test for it was blood test, which, at the time, the hospital didn't do that particular test. He was then informed about a lab that does those special tests, so he sent the blood samples over there. It turns out the control numbers were the same on all the bottles, MC-2880. Medical examiner Donahue asked Dr. Kim over the phone to open the bottles and smell them. He noted that they smelled like almonds, which was lucky considering that only about half the population can actually smell cyanide. At around 1 a.m., Dr. Kim finally received the lab reports, which revealed a massive amount of cyanide, 1,000 times more than was necessary to kill a human. Initially, authorities were unaware of the poisonings in the other towns until the information came to light, and they were able to make the connection. Then at about 10 in the morning, an attorney from Johnson & Johnson, the parent company of Tylenol's manufacturer, showed up. He was taken to the lab, and the toxicologist explained their findings. A press conference was publicized to tell people in the area that cyanide had been found in Tylenol, warn them that they could be in danger, and recommend not to take Tylenol for the time being. By 3 p.m., Johnson & Johnson announced the recall of all Tylenol from lot MC-2880. All the Tylenol was pulled off the shelves in Chicago, and Mayor Byrne encouraged the Chicago City Council to pass an ordinance requiring tamper-resistant packaging for all drugs sold in stores. On October 5th, six days after the first poisoning, Johnson & Johnson recalled all Tylenol products nationwide, 31 million bottles valued at more than $100 million. A hundred officers and agents were working day and night trying to solve the mystery. Investigators had a series of names given to them by Johnson & Johnson of ex-workers that had been terminated. They were curious if maybe an ex-employee was upset with them. There was one name that stuck out. A man that worked on a team of chemists was tasked with trying to determine the cause of green stuff growing in Johnson & Johnson's talcum powder. While the team determined that the green stuff was mold from the oak pallets, the man was ultimately terminated for unknown reasons. On October 6, an extortion letter arrived at Johnson & Johnson demanding $1 million to stop the Tylenol killings. The police eventually traced the letter to James Lewis in New York City. For weeks, the investigation focused on him, and he was arrested two months later for trying to extort money from Johnson & Johnson and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Lewis said he never intended to collect the money demanded in the extortion letter and instead said it was an attempt to draw attention to his wife's employer, Lakeside Travel, after her paycheck bounced. He used the postage meter machine from the travel agency to send the extortion letter, and that's how the FBI linked him to the extortion attempt. While behind bars, Lewis was interviewed numerous times regarding his possible involvement in the murders. However, after years of trying, investigators could never get any solid evidence to link him to the murders. Lewis was also the suspect in a bizarre 1978 murder case in Kansas City. He was accused of murdering an elderly man named Raymond West in connection with the fraud scheme. Raymond's remains were discovered hoisted up in his attic. The rope used to hoist him up matched the rope found in Lewis's truck along with other evidence 
but the case was later dismissed on a technicality. The same could be said over and over in Mr. Lewis's life. Despite his stint in the federal pen for extortion, Lewis was connected to a battery of other crimes, but he always slithered free and ended up settling in Boston. In 2004, he was charged with kidnapping and sexually assaulting a woman in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The case was dismissed the day before the trial when the victim suddenly refused to testify. Once again, he got off scot-free. Lewis served 13 years of his 20-year sentence for extortion and was released in 1995. In 2009, FBI agents searched his apartment in Cambridge, Massachusetts, removing boxes of evidence. There are even some people that believe you can see Lewis in the image of Paula Prince buying the Tylenol. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Ongoing lab tests discovered cyanide-laced Tylenol in a bottle turned in near the Walgreens where Paula Prince made her fatal purchase. In Illinois, some towns began pulling bottles from the store shelves and sent police officers down the street with bullhorns, encouraging people to throw out their Tylenol. Police departments and fire stations started collecting bottles as well. And eventually, the investigation stalled with no hope of finding the culprit. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration then cautioned the public against taking the pain reliever in capsule form. Meanwhile, the nation was reeling from the panic, and many became unsure if any products were safe anymore. Today, 40 years after the seven deaths, the Tylenol murders remains unsolved. But in 2020, the case was reopened, and the FBI began swabbing those close to the case and those that had made contact with those bottles. Laura Morgan was only three years old in 1982 when her mother, Linda Morgan, bought a bottle of Tylenol from her local grocery store to ease the pain of an aching leg. Linda said she looked at one of the capsules, sensed something was off, and decided on an aspirin instead. Had she not made that choice, she would have died that day, making her the eighth victim of the Tylenol killer. On October 28, 1982, a report stated that Linda and her husband, DuPage County Judge Lewis Morgan, both touched the bottle. Authorities took the judge's fingerprints to eliminate him as a suspect. The police department collected a swab of DNA from Linda's daughter, Laura, on January 14, 2020, 38 years after the murders. That same day, Laura also provided police with one of her late father's old smoking pipes to obtain his DNA. It was also in 2020 when the police department began working with Othram Labs in hopes of using advanced forensic DNA technology to solve the case. Interestingly, Othram can analyze DNA smaller than the tip of a pin needle and create a profile from that for forensic genealogy research. Records show law enforcement has retained a multitude of evidence, including the 40-year-old bottles and contaminated peels. Much of the evidence in the Tylenol murders is decades old and has been tested for DNA and fingerprints multiple times since 1982. While repeated testing can degrade the DNA over time, Othram's technology isn't affected by this. In 2007, all the evidence was sent to and re-examined by the FBI. The FBI then launched a task force to revisit the case and was able to create exact timelines and put together 
tracking for the test of key evidence, such as bottles and capsules purchased by the victims. The police detective and several other law enforcement officials believe they have finally solved the case. They just need prosecutors to agree with them to take the risky step of indicting a 76-year-old man in a case built almost entirely on circumstantial evidence. Multiple law enforcement sources say that his presentation references undercover FBI recordings, a secretly exhumed body, and writings discovered during a raid on the suspect's home. It explains the complicated test being done to sort out the DNA profiles found on several poisoned bottles, and it offers a possible motive never previously disclosed to the public. Unfortunately, the police reports from Mary Reiner's case haven't turned up. In September 2022, investigators submitted evidence to the state crime lab for testing, but as of now, that information has not been released. As a result of the crisis, all Tylenol capsules were discontinued, as were capsules of other brand names. The Tylenol company, McNeil Laboratories, created the world's first tamper-resistant, gelatin-embrobed capsule called Tylenol Gel Caps, which proved to resuscitate 92% of capsule segment sales lost to the recall. We are now pleased to announce that we are reintroducing Tylenol to the city of Chicago in safety seal packaging. The tamper-resistant, triple-sealed safety containers were placed on the shelves of retailers 10 weeks after the withdrawal, and other manufacturers followed suit. In the end, the crisis would cost the company more than $100 million U.S. million, but Tylenol was able to regain 100% of the market share it had before the crisis. A $100,000 reward was offered by Johnson & Johnson for information leading to the killer's identity and prosecution. Before the poisonings, Tylenol brands held around 35% of the U.S. market for acetaminophen and, in the immediate aftermath, fell to 8%. However, within a year, sales had rebounded to the prior levels. Johnson & Johnson's handling of the crisis has been widely cited as an example of optimal crisis management. These events led to the widespread use of tamper-resistant packaging of drugs by drug companies to the 1982 passage of a U.S. federal law making tampering a crime, and in 1989, legislation was passed requiring tamper-proof packaging. It's been over two years since the police department began working with Othram Labs in 2020 with hopes of using advanced forensic DNA technology to solve the case. But as of February 2023, this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.